Connect. Influence. Optimize. You're listening to The Channel Channel, a podcast for executives and others involved in the authorized sale of electronic components. Brought to you by the ECIA, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Working to promote and improve the authorized distribution channel. Welcome to The Channel Channel. I'm Dale Ford, Chief Analyst at ECIA and responsible for ECIA market research and statistics and host of this session of the Channel Channel, a podcast sponsored by the Electronic Components Industry Association, covering topics that are important for participants in the electronic component supply chain. I'm very pleased to welcome Glenn Hitchcock. Glenn has 30 years of experience in the semiconductor industry with Texas Instruments, Altera, and Maxim. And all, with all of these companies, Glenn managed the EMS-ODM community relationships. In 2008, Glenn formed his own consulting company, Technology Partners, short or short TPC. With this company, Glenn does various forms of consulting for the industry and the institutional investor community. So we're very pleased to have Glenn join us. We uh, publish a report that Glenn releases every month uh, that provides very valuable insights to a survey that Glenn conducts each month. And so we'll have an opportunity during this call to discuss some of the analysis and insights that Glenn has derived from his most recent report. But for those of you who want to actually see the report, you can go to the ECIANow.org website, go to the statistics tab, and there you will see a section devoted to the report's that Glenn provides us from TPC. So with that, welcome, Glenn. Thank you, Dale. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's jump in. I, I, I just mentioned that we do publish your report, but Glenn, maybe you could give us just a, a brief description of what this report is and how you gather this data. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, this is a survey, a blind survey that we do every month uh, and we send it out to actually about 20,000 people globally. And the respondents are made up of mainly component suppliers, DISTIs, end customers, EMS, ODM companies, people that work with or around them, et cetera. We've been doing this survey now for 10 years, and it consists of really about a dozen questions relative to you know, demand outlook for the next couple of quarters, bookings outlooks, inventory, pricing, push out, reschedule, those types of things. And to get a try to get an understanding of how the industry views the next two quarters. So it's very near term and focus, if you will. Great. And the, the mix of respondents to the survey, as I recall, it gives a very strong representation uh, as far as participants from Asia, is that correct? That's a good point. Yes, it does. Yeah, I would say about 70 to 80% of the responses come from people based in Asia. Okay, so this is very valuable given that Asia is the location for the dominant share of electronics production in the world and is also by far and away the largest market for semiconductors in the world. So this is very valuable insight into what is taking place in Asia, which has such a huge global influence. Correct. 
We like to think so. <laughs> Let's jump in just to maybe discuss briefly the, the latest results in terms of demand expectations and, and seasonality expectations. If you could just share what you think the key points are uh, that you see coming out of this latest survey. Sure, I'll be happy to. Well, looking at the, the growth expectations, obviously the past two years have been very unusual years to say the least. And if I look at last year's results, certainly Q4's outlook for last year was very, very positive. If I compare it to the past three years of data, it was easily two to three X higher in the response versus, or the positive response, if you will, versus the past three years. And the same holds true for the seasonality question that we asked as well. However, it's interesting because if I look at going into Q1 of next year, things are going back to a, what I'll say a more normal seasonality. It's still not there yet. Meaning that the positive responses for calendar Q1's growth outlook for next year is still, I'd say slightly above what it's been for 2017 through 2020. But it is starting to go back to more, if you will, quote unquote, normal type outlooks and normal type seasonality. The other interesting thing is the bookings question that we asked, which is sort of a, if you will, Dale, a leading indicator type of question. So if we're asking, you know, what's the bookings outlook for the current quarter we're in in Q1, it's really more indicative of what people are sort of expecting to ship over the next, say, you know, 90 days to 120 days. So kind of the first half of next year. And again, if I look at that data for calendar Q1, we had a huge negative response compared to the previous five years, which you know, there is obviously a disconnect there between the growth outlook and certainly what you're hearing on the news versus some of the responses that we're seeing relative to the bookings outlook. And then more importantly, the inventory situation, which we'll get into in a minute. So the point here being is that clearly in late 2019, 2020, 2021, we started seeing very huge positive responses relative to growth outlook. But now as we look into kind of early next year, it looks like that's, you know, that outlook is starting to change. And so that, again, is just one of the uh, tools in our toolbox that we're kind of using to try to figure out where this thing is going. Great. So that, that leads us into what I think is an important discussion in terms of, you mentioned the inventories and the uh, backlog and cancellation picture. Now, on one chart, we see uh, it's indicating an increase in terms of the uh, backlog and order cancellation taking place. And then another picture, though, shows perhaps a, a more moderated picture on inventory. But maybe you could comment about sure. what you're seeing in terms of the inventory builds. And you mentioned that you see some imbalances there and uh, areas of concern that are cropping up. Sure. Well, let's talk about inventory growth, because we have a question in the survey that specifically asks, do you see inventory increasing or decreasing versus last quarter? So 
We asked that question for Q4 and also Q1. And if I look at the trend line for both quarters, the negative response, in other words, people see inventory increasing, you know, continues to go up. Like if you look at Q4, we've asked this question now going back to July. And so for the past five months, every increase in response has gone up, except for back in October, it went slightly down, but then it went up to a new high. Same with Q1. We've only asked the question twice because we started the Q1 questions the month of October, but it's basically is on the same level of negative responses as we're seeing in Q4. So that's the inventory question directly. And then we also asked a couple of questions relative to specific product inventory where we asked, and this is more of a subjective type question, on a scale of one to five, do you think you have enough DRAM, as an example? Do you have enough microcontrollers, et cetera? And if I look at the response, responses today in those categories, I would say the view is inventory levels are pretty nominal. I mean, certainly in some cases, they're a little on the low side, but with one being we don't have any inventory and five being we're swimming in inventory, we're certainly not seeing any, a lot of one responses or even, you know, two responses. Most of the responses are kind of in the 2.5 to, to let's say 3.0 with 3.0 being kind of a nominal response. And then finally, we asked a question about reschedules and cancellations. And again, this is somewhat of a subjective question, but it's a relative question to how people see cancellations and reschedules or potential cancellation and reschedules versus last month. And we trend line that. So we have data going back eight years on this. And right now, the, the way we report this data is on a relative uh, index. And the index is at the almost the most negative point it's been. There have been a couple of other times that it's been a little more negative, but we think that that is that shows that we're about, you know, maybe two quarters out from from a pretty definite inflection if things trend the way that they are. And so I can see what you're thinking, <laughs> that you think I mean, this is contrary to everything that I'm reading about and I'm hearing about, you know, relative to what's going on in the auto industry and some of the other supply chains. And I get that. But again, this is, an it, we believe, an early indicator of certainly things getting in a more normal situation, if not actually inflecting the other way. So in addition to our survey work, we also do on-the-ground work and obviously speak to a number of people in the industry. And I would say the single biggest concern right now is inventory, and especially inventory imbalance. And by that, I mean you know, again, there's still a lot of, you know, shortages out there, especially in microcontrollers, power management ICs, some passes, but even that's, you know, healed itself very, very nicely over the past two to three months. But again, there's a lot more product that's gotten more readily available. And a lot of supply chains have continued to take that product. And in fact, they either have a lot of product in-house or a lot of product committed to their suppliers where it's non-cancellable, non-returnable. So we believe that at some point that becomes too much. 
and the supply chains start to have to rebalance that inventory. I've seen that a number of times through the cycles and it, it invariably happens. And, and it actually, I believe that this inventory imbalance is one of the early warning signals. I don't wanna necessarily say warning signals, but just an early signal that things you know, are gonna to start to moderate a little bit as we get into you know, probably second quarter of next year, the middle of next year, et cetera. You know, you've mentioned uh, this issue and, and you've also mentioned that uh, companies are afraid to stop taking these parts because of fear of losing their place in line. And I guess the starkest example of that that we have here in the Americas was the automotive industry uh, <laughs> the start of the pandemic, pulling back on their orders, canceling orders. And then when the surge came back, they weren't able to get back in line where they would like to be exactly. to fly. And so I think, I'm guessing a lot of people saw that painful experience with the automotive industry and saying, we don't want to make that same mistake. Would you say that's right? Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up the auto industry because there has been some paradigm shift with the auto industry away from just-in-time delivery and the philosophy of, well, we're going to keep more inventory, especially in components and even finished sub-assemblies. Because to your point, they don't want to go through this again. Certainly, if I take a step back and look at underlying demand, that's still quite strong in the auto industry driven by content growth. And I think that's going to be the case for the next three plus years, probably for quite a while. So you, the real question becomes, will the auto industry really make this change to their inventory philosophy where they will, in fact, be willing to keep 90 days worth of inventory, do uh, you know, shared uh, risk with their suppliers and with their EMS partners, et cetera. I'm kind of old school, Dale, so I'm a little <laughs> bit of a doubting Thomas here. Yeah. But we'll have to see how that plays out. But certainly the auto industry, I think, of all the verticals, stands the most chance to continue this strong growth cycle. I, I, there's, there's, there's no question about it. However, on the consumer side, we're starting to see some really a lot of choppiness there, you know, relative to um, handset demand in some cases, certainly, you know, PCs, notebooks, Chromebooks, demand has weakening as kind of, you know, uh, uh, work from home has started to kind of somewhat come to an end. And I think there was a lot of overbuilding over the past, you know, year or so in, in you know, PCs and Chromebooks. Um, so yeah, so um, we'll have to see how that kind of kind of plays out. Interesting. So another another thought that comes to my mind is, you know, you, as you see the the reports and the results from your research on inventory issues, the the surveys we know at the beginning is heavily um, influenced by respondents from Asia, seventy to eighty percent. Sure. Now, here in the Americas, as we uh, are, and not just ECIA, but ECIA and others, as we continue to measure lead times, we continue to see, especially for semiconductors and passive, passive components, we continue to see lead times extend. And so I'm wondering if what you're seeing here in this survey and what we're seeing in the US points to the primary culprit in extended lead times being the shipping crisis that we're in. Mm -hmm. That it's not so much a manufacturing crisis. Right. It appears that 
in in Asia, where shipping's not the issue, <laughs> shipping say uh, within China or between China and other Asian countries, much easier proposition than shipping between Asia and the Americas. And so right. that points to my mind that the only way we get out of this problem we're in the Americas is resolving the shipping issue. Would you agree? I, I mean, certainly, I, I think that's a major part of it, certainly a contributor to it. Um, and I, you know, I think it's, you know, we're, we're seeing some evidence of that by a lot of EMS companies moving production out of Asia in the Mexico as an example. And, you know, Mexico is expanding uh, quite a bit to be able to support that. So I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's really becoming more of a function of, of where most of your business is located. If your business, most of your business is in North America, companies are now trying to build in North America, build in Mexico, mm -hmm. as an example. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, certainly it's, it, you know, you have a, you have a valid point there. Um, yeah. yeah, and on the manufacturing side, you've made some interesting observations. Maybe you could share here in terms of, you know, what's already been booked next year, but perhaps some indicators that on the semiconductor side, maybe capacity utilization won't be strained as heavily given what uh, actions some of the, uh, in terms of um, key uh, uh, customers of the foundries. Maybe you could comment on that. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, we have seen um, some, some near-term wafer availability um, by, uh, by some of the major foundries. Um, you know, obviously TSM is one of those in, in some cases. Um, and then we've also seen some of, uh, some of the key customers of the foundry, third-party foundries, actually start to cut, cut wafers in the, in, in the first half. Now, there's always a, a balancing going on here, but in some cases, these, these, we believe these cuts were you know, actually due to having too many wafers on order versus what, what they see in demand being as we get into sort of the middle of next, next year. Um, and, and, and again, um, you know, going back to the fact that there has been some near-term wafer capacity available. By near-term, I mean, you know, kind of like calendar Q1 timeframe at, you know, some of these major, you know, third, third party fabs leads us to believe that, you know, things are starting to, to heal, if you will, et cetera. Um, and then obviously as, as, as some product starts to free up at, at those, um, uh, at the user level, that should also free up wafer capacity where that might be able to be used for something else other than say, um, you know, they could be used for microcontrollers as an example, rather than some other product. Okay, great, great. So uh, just the last couple of thoughts. One is you, you noted that uh, the gray market seems to be increasing its role in the supply chain. Now we, ECIA, we, we champion and sponsor the authorized channel. Right. And so uh, we see it as a concern, I guess you could say, if the gray market is playing an expanded role. What, what are you seeing in terms of what's taking place with the gray market and the shortage? Well, again, that's, that's one of the kind of the subjective things that we watch too is, is activity in the gray market. And, and more importantly, 
how readily available product is in the gray market. And I'll just use a kind of an anecdotal example if I could. If I look at, you know, six months ago, passives, you know, like MLCCs, tantalums, et cetera, were, were in very tight supply. A lot of that had to do with the issue over in Malaysia that, you know, been the and COVID outbreak, et cetera. And so they were, you know, actually some of the Japanese suppliers were looking at expanding in Japan uh, to help offset that. Uh, and, and so what, what happened was there was a lot of overordering for on, on capacitors. Fast forward, you know, three months, let's say about two, three months ago, all of a sudden the gray market had you know capacitors available to 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 ship they could go in and you know pretty much fill any demand that they had um and then kind of fast forward another couple of months to get into kind of the current environment basically there's very little shortages in in the in the passive area now so that's just an example of why we kind of watch the the gray market because we think it's an early indicator of you know, as, as things start to free up, as maybe customers realize, well, we got a little bit too much inventory, or we got too much on uh, on order, but we can't cancel it. Maybe we can offload some of that to the gray market, and then obviously that finds its way in, in into the into the rest of the market that has shortages. Interesting. Well, our hope is that we see that gray market turning down. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> The use of the more secure and, and beneficial authorized uh, supply chain uh, returning where we, we think it's uh, best. Well, with that, um, I think uh, this has been very valuable in terms of the insights you've shared with us in terms of the research coming out of your survey and other work that you're doing, Glenn. Uh, I'm sure that maybe some of our members might be interested in getting in contact with you perhaps to discuss other issues, would you like to share just how people could get in touch with you? That'll be fine, thank you. Um, you can reach me at glennh at technology-partners-consulting.com. And you can post that on your website. I'll send you the link and that'll be great. Great, great. And so Glenn is available for other consulting engagements and he is a valued uh, partner of ECIA and appreciate his support. And uh, if you reach out to Glenn, uh, I think uh, you uh, uh, would be pleased with how you can interact with him and his partner. So with that, we'll thank you, Glenn. And uh, we will uh, uh, look forward. Maybe we'll take the opportunity to talk with you again in the future. But uh, for now, thank you. And uh, have a great holiday season. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you, Dale. And you all have a great holiday as well. <laughs>